2: The following podcast contains barnyard language and some adult content. So, maybe listen on headphones if you're at work or around small children. Now, here's the show. Hey, Jalenta.
3: Yes, Kristen.
2: I like to think that you and I do a pretty good job of questioning the advice that self-help authors show.
3: Uh, yeah, I totally agree with that, especially the ones who insist you got to maximize and optimize and multitask and have it all and be more and do more and achieve and operate at
2: 100%. <laughs> you, you know what I mean. Yes. Well, Jolenta, what do you say we talk with some of the other people out there who are poking holes and all that self-help advice out there? People like Celeste Headley, author of the new book, Do Nothing.
3: That sounds amazing because one, I love Celeste Headley, and two, I also love doing nothing.
2: (laughs) Well, let's do it then, because I'm Kristen Meinzer.
3: And I'm Jalanta Greenberg. And I'm Celeste Headley. And this is By the Book.
2: Your life is going down the drain. You're in so much pain. You need some help.
1: Ooh, self-help. That's
2: right. It's time for another buy the book bonus episode, our Between Seasons Treat for Your Ears. And for the next few episodes, we're going to be talking with other people who are looking at the self-help world with a critical eye. We began it last week with Jane Marie, and today we're continuing with Celeste Hudley.
3: That's right. Celeste is an award-winning journalist, a professional speaker, and a best-selling author of the book, We Need to Talk, How to Have Conversations That Matter. Her TEDx talk, Sharing 10 Ways to Have a Better Conversation, has over 30 million total views to date, and her most recent book is Do Nothing, How to Break Away from Overworking, Overdoing, and Underliving. Now, Kristen, I was sick on the day that we were supposed to interview Celeste, so you had a conversation with her solo, and thank you so much for doing that.
2: Oh, I was very happy to. I love Celeste. And the first thing I said to her was that a lot of us don't want to do nothing. We love to achieve, to work, to learn, to engage in hobbies, to be involved in our communities. And I asked her, do you really want us to stop doing all those things? Here's what she said.
1: So I don't want us to stop doing all those things. You know, the the inclination to, to produce things and be creative, that's absolutely natural. But the, the point that it's gotten now to where it's it's frankly kind of toxic. I mean, it's for some people, it's impossible to sit there and just watch a movie rather than watch a movie and check your email and check your social media without feeling guilty. Or, or let's say that you sat down on your front step or your balcony or whatever you have where you live and just sat there watching the street for a half an hour. Some people can't do that without feeling guilty. That is means it's become a little bit toxic, not even a little bit toxic, a lot toxic. And in the book, I try to trace back why you feel that way. It's it's not just you. It's us. And it's not just our generation. It goes back like two or three hundred years.
2: Well, I have to say, I feel it very much in this generation. I mean, the number of people who used to love to just crochet or embroider who suddenly feel that they're supposed to have an Etsy store or they're supposed to turn it into a side hustle, I definitely feel the rise of that over the last decade or two. Do you?
1: Oh, yeah. You know, I do cross-stitch, and one of my friends says, oh, don't do cross-stitch. It takes way too much time. You'll never be able to sell it it for what it's worth. (laughs) 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 Um, And, yes, it has gotten to the point, you know, it, this has been coming, like I said, for generations, but every generation has leaned into it. This idea that idle hands are the devil's playground, right? That every moment of your day has to be leveraged. And then now it's gotten to the point where even your personal hobbies have to be leveraged. They have to be part of your brand, right? It has to be something that you can post pictures of on Instagram and, and turn into a side hustle as, a, as an Instagram influencer or, 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 a, or a YouTube chef or whatever it may be be. Um, So, yeah, people can't simply enjoy what they used to. I mean, think about this, Kristen. Think of the hobbies our our grandparents and parents had, right? Stamp collecting and (laughs) coin collecting and rock polishing. All those totally, supposedly useless things people used to do, but they were smart. Like that's doing that stuff is actually very healthy for your body and your brain.
2: What do you mean by healthy?
1: Well, we know, both through cognitive science and through just, you know, biology and physiology, that being on all the time, directing yourself in focused activities all the time, is just not the way the human body is meant to work. We don't persist, we pulse. So a human brain and body is designed to engage in focused activity and then rest, engage and rest, engage and rest. And we also know that For the most part, for the average person, you have maybe four to five hours of focused work in you every day. You know, some of the great minds in history like Beethoven and Charles Dickens and Charles Darwin, they only worked for three or four hours a day because that's about all we've got. After that, it needs to be sort of um, unfocused activities, less mentally strenuous activities, and rest. Rest is productive.
2: And, And what are the benefits of doing nothing?
1: So I mean they're they're manifold. You know one of the things I try to point to all the time is that right now we're in an epidemic of, of burnout. Um, you know the WHO just recognized burnout I think last year as a as a real um, not only that it's a, it's an actual syndrome but that it is a global epidemic at the moment. Everybody's overwhelmed. They're all on the edge, um, and what that means is that we're 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 running around the world being ruled by our amygdala, our fight or flight brain and your fight or flight brain is not the brain that you want making your decisions it's the brain you want controlling you if you're being chased by a tiger but you do not not that (laughs) one making actual real important decisions it's going to make your decisions on what you eat worse it's going to make your decisions on how you sleep and all those other things it's going to be immature about those things so when you do nothing what happens is you relax yourself to where you're not in fight or flight anymore so, not only can it help you in terms of your physiology. it's going to make you just healthier. It lowers your heart rate, as I mentioned before. It makes you less prone to get all kinds of different diseases. The other thing is is that you got to keep in mind that when you are when you are in burnout, you're most likely to be ruled by your analytical brain. And your analytical brain is the one that solves math problems, right? or says, you know, what time do I need to be home to get the delivery from FedEx or those kind of problems. But if you need to be creative, if you need to innovate, if you need to um, solve any kind of difficult, nuanced, or emotional problem, you need your insightful brain. And your insightful brain uh, comes, into, it comes into play when you are at rest, when your brain is at rest. It's not literally at rest. Your brain is pretty much working all the time. But when it's not in a focused activity, that's when you're most likely to get those aha movements that bring you new ideas and new solutions.
2: But, you know, I, I got to point out that our union um, forefathers and foremothers and so on, they fought for us to have a 40-hour work week. And yeah. um and that was a privilege to have to work only forty hours. I thought, but you're saying we shouldn't yeah. even be working forty hours?
1: Yeah, because listen, I um for this book I had to do a lot of extremely boring research. Like I had to go through a lot of uh, you know history of working hours going back to the time of the Greeks and Romans, right? And so I I know that for most of the three hundred thousand years that human beings have been on the planet, we didn't actually work all that much. In fact, even a medieval serf. Worked less than half a year, hmm. so you know they would do a very strenuous, focused activity like bringing in the harvest. And then what happened? They had like two to three weeks of harvest festival <laughs> when they <laughs> when they went, party for months. Exactly. When they <laughs> celebrated a wedding, they did it for a couple weeks. They, again, most of their year was taken up in feasts and festivals and religious days and and other kinds of things. They didn't work. That long um, before the Industrial Revolution, so yeah, it feels like this is always the way it's been done. And you're right; our our forefathers literally died to get us an eight-hour workday, and would be disappointed that we're we're, we're voluntarily giving that up. But the eight-hour workday, in and of itself, isn't necessarily the way we naturally would do it. Were we not punching in and out of a time clock?
2: Mm. But you know, you acknowledge in your own book that going to work gives us a lot of psychological, mental, and physical benefits, and that when people retire, there's frequently decline in all three of those areas. So that kind of suggests that doing less, that not working as much might be bad for our health. But that's not your point, right?
1: Right. I mean, you have to separate out what you do for survival from what we're, the rest of us are doing, right? A lot of us are not doing work that's necessary for survival, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we're doing extra. We're all extra. <laughs> and, and it's very difficult at this point from a research standpoint to separate out the disadvantages of unemployment that are innate, that are because we need work from the disadvantages that are caused by the fact that at this point in our history, in our culture, we get our worth from our job. Mm. Like your rank, your salary, that's what gives you status. Uh, When people ask you how you are, we say busy. Like that's become your status in life. So it makes sense that if you lose your job, not only are you losing income, but you're also losing status. You are, in the eyes of our culture at least, worthless. And so of course that's going to have impacts.
2: But you're suggesting that maybe we work less and that we do less, and that's going to maybe result in some of that losing our status and depression. Um, What what do you want us to do if we're not working as much? What would you, in your ideal world, what would we do? We be doing instead?
1: Well, first of all, we don't need to be working the hours that we're working. We could get our jobs done in much less time. A lot of the work that we're doing, a lot of the habits that we have are actually making us less productive. They feel busier and they take up more time. But in fact, they're wasting time. So I want you to think for a second. Let's imagine a, an accountant in his, in his brown polyester suit in 1971, mm-hmm. right, um, getting his job done in taking care of his accounts. And so fast forward to today, it takes so much less time for that accountant to get his job done. And yet he's still working 40 hours a week. And you have to ask yourself, why? We know that technologically we can all get our work done in much less time. So why are we still working 40 hours? Well, there's a few reasons. One is that Working extra hours has become the way to signal to our employers and to our friends and family that we're important and we're hardworking. And because we're hardworking, we're deserving. It is, it is literally our, our value as a human being that we are hardworking. And sometimes that can become even more strong as you get more income, this desire to prove that you earned it. So you work more hours, even though it's unnecessary. There's also a thing that I talk about in the book called Parkinson's Law, um, hmm. which basically says that uh, work expands to fit the amount of time allotted for it. <laughs> so if you have, if your boss comes in and says, you have two hours to write this memo, it'll take you two hours. If they say you have until Friday, <laughs>
2: it, <laughs> it will take oh, that's until so Friday. Yeah. But also, interestingly, um, we don't really only work eight hours anymore. I, yeah. I would argue that almost all of us have this computer we carry with us all the time called a phone where our bosses email us on the weekends and on the you know, in the evenings our coworkers do, we are reached out to in a million different ways, whether it's like text or Slack. You know, I I just think like, I don't know if we really even have only 40-hour work weeks anymore. I feel like my work week is more like 60 or 80 hours a lot of the time.
1: So this is the difficulty. This is something that an institute in Australia calls polluted time, and it's what makes it difficult to track how long people are actually working. We do know, though, that Technically, we're working fewer hours than our parents and our grandparents, even when you include. Um, the amount of time we spend on email at home, although that's self-reported. So it's difficult, right? All of this is self-reported. But we have been tracking working hours for a very, very long time, decades. And so we know we're actually working fewer hours. But you're absolutely correct that because we're carrying our work with us and because your brain does not distinguish between you doing online shopping and you doing work, Your brain thinks that if you're paging through Facebook, you're working. That literally makes your brain and your body feel that you're working all the time. Mm -hmm. And people even take that phone with them. Like a third of people say they take the phone with them into the shower.
2: Oh, I do that. Yeah.
1: One in 10 people (laughs) say they've answered the phone or looked at a text while having sex. Oh, no. Yeah. What? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. So if you just think of that phone or that tablet or that laptop as um, an office, you just have to think about when that is present and visible, you're in the office. And therefore, it's important to make time during the day when you're not looking at it.
2: Mm. So in addition to cutting down on how often we're looking at our phones, what else would you suggest we do if we are going to try to do
1: less? Yeah, so the first one I want to really emphasize that let's say that, you know, one of the things I tell people to do is make sure to take a break every hour because your brain needs it. And we've tested this over and over. The most productive brains are the ones that get a break every 45 or 50 minutes or so. So that's the first thing. But – If when you're taking that break, you immediately pull out your phone and start paging through things, then you're not actually taking a break as far as your brain is concerned. You're just continuing to work. So that's the first thing is take a break and take a screen-free break. But you know what? Here's the beautiful thing. It's not actually all that complicated to give yourself a real break. We are so beautifully biologically designed to take benefit from simple, inexpensive things. It's freaking miraculous. If you walk outside for 10 minutes without your phone and look at a tree... It boosts your mood. It lowers your heart rate. It lowers your cortisol levels, the stress hormone. You will take almost an immediate benefit from it. In fact, there's some studies showing that if you look at a picture of greenery of a forest, it's, it's not as big an impact, but you'll still get an impact from it. House plants. But again, you have to make sure that you have removed the things that are causing the stress, which is you just have to turn away from your screen. Another thing is, is, we know that just a simple conversation, it doesn't have to be a Zoom conversation, which can bring its own anxiety and stress, but the sound of a human voice can be very soothing. You know, one thing that's interesting during the time of COVID, I think people may not have really appreciated what psychologists call the power of weak ties. And those weak ties are the things like the, the few words you exchange with your barista or your grocery store clerk or the the mailman or whatever it may be, those actually have a big impact on your mood and in fact can lift your mood out of depression and, and give you a boost that lasts for a long period of time. We, we maybe weren't aware of that, but if you're sitting in isolation and wondering why you feel unmotivated, exhausted, and a little bit down, it's possibly because you've lost all of your social weak ties. These are all like things that are so easy and inexpensive to do. Another one is is give yourself a helper's high, do one nice thing for somebody else every day. And I know that makes it sound like I'm Mr. Rogers, but instead of focusing on the good you're doing to the world, although that's real, the fact of the matter is is that when you help someone else, there's a number of things that happen inside your brain and body. It distracts you from your own problems, it gives you context, and it also gives you that rush of adrenaline that is going to lift your mood again. They've even shown that people who um, are suffering through cancer, if If they, they, in the hospital, get them to help out other patients in the hospital, it lifts even someone suffering from a, a deadly disease.
2: So the first steps to do nothing, you're saying, are give yourself a break, don't look at your screen, be in the world in a way that you're observing nature, and have little conversations with those people that aren't necessarily close to you, and then also get a helper's high. Oh, I love all of those. Those are very easy things that we can all do. Um, Even if we don't know how to step away from our work, I think anybody can do those things.
3: We are going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we have listener questions from you all for Celeste, so stay tuned.
0: Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.
2: We're back with Celeste Headley, author of the new book, Do Nothing, How to Break Away from Overworking, Overdoing, and underliving. And now, Celeste, we have a lot of questions for you. So we're going to try to get through as many as we can. We have a lot here. Let's start with Jory. Jory says, what advice would you give to people who are facing pressure to somehow be more productive or take on new projects during the era of COVID-19? Have any of your thoughts or approaches changed during the pandemic?
1: I think, if anything, I went entirely the other way, Um, probably because I I've tried to focus on uh, um, each day spending some time asking, okay, how's my body doing? How am I feeling? And what emotions am I feeling at this moment in time? And it's made me a little more compassionate. Like there are days when I'm like, I just don't feel like doing anything. And in you know past years, I would have been like, get your butt up. What are you doing? You lazy, get, get to work. You have a whole list of things to do. But during COVID, I just recognize that I'm dealing with a, with anxiety every single day. There's just a baseline of anxiety and fear all the time. And so if my, brain is saying, I need to not do anything, I honor that. You know, when we push ourselves through those emotions and try to force ourselves to go to work, for the most part, for me, it feels like someone forcing themselves to take a jog after they've sprained their ankle. Like you have an injury and and you need to rest it. So that's one thing that has changed. But if you're getting pressured to be productive... <sighs> ignore that crap like <laughs> absolutely ignore that <laughs> that is bs and that is someone who is still in in the cult you know one of the things i talk about is the cult of efficiency that is someone who is still brainwashed just you've heard this interview you have taken the red pill you are unplugged from the matrix just ignore it <laughs> All
2: right. Vanessa has this question. She says, if I were to put in fewer hours, my coworkers would presume I'm not making a fair contribution, even though I get the same amount of work done in 40 hours as they get done in 80. What's the best way to get one's coworkers on board if you want to put in fewer hours on the clock?
1: You know, four of the most powerful words in, human lang- in any language uh, for human beings are, can you help me? Ooh. So one of the things I would do is go to my coworkers and say, listen, I am really stressed out and I am uh not taking any off time and I'm I'm trying to counteract that. So can you help me with that? If if you if I'm sending you emails at nine o'clock at night or whatever, I'm trying to keep keep myself to my strict work hours of these eight hours a day, can you help me keep those hours? Ooh. Um and you know if you see any change in my work or the quality of my work, obviously let me know. But in the meantime, I'm trying to pay attention to my own health.
2: Oh, I love that. Because it's, it's also empowering the people around you to be yeah. good and to be helpful. I love that. Yeah. Um, Mai has this question. Mai says, does your message also apply to working class people? Does it recognize the systems that keep us having to work and be productive simply to get by?
1: You know, that's absolutely the case. And there are going to be some people who don't have a lot of control over their work schedule. Um, but there's, that's few, there's a fewer number than you think. So if you're an hourly worker um, where if you, you simply cannot reduce your hours or you don't have enough money to pay the bills, I absolutely empathize it, and I, with that and I understand it. But you probably can find five or ten minutes a day. And it's important that you do because right now, if you're in that situation, you are a victim of your schedule and you need to find at least a tiny bit of time of the day when you're in control. Otherwise, that's going to bring its own stress and anxiety all on its own and it's going to take a toll on your body like you would not believe. So you need to find those five or 10 minutes here or there when you are taking care of yourself when you step away from the screens, step away from your family. If that's at all possible, if not, grab your kids by the hand or whatever and take them with you on the walk. Take a walk around the block without your phone. Mm. Take that time. Be in control. I love that.
2: What I love about that is you're acknowledging that, you know, we all have different challenges we're facing and our world is not set up to be fair where everybody can work the same amount. Yeah. But um, but you're right. Anybody can take five to 10 minutes a day. All of us can do that. Yeah. All right. Dawn has this to say. How do you reconcile the joy of achieving a challenging goal that takes a lot of work with the equally valid
1: joy of downtime? Um, You can have both of those things. Like I said, think of those, you know, Greek uh, farmers bringing in their harvest and then spending two weeks (laughs) partying about it. (laughs) You know, the, the sociologists and statisticians have studied it. We absolutely at this point could be having a schedule where we worked for a full year and then took an entire year off. Mm. That's what we could have right now. If the decisions we made in our culture put more emphasis on our on our free time and our leisure and not on constantly improving profits. Which I might point out, the workers themselves almost never see that growth in income. It's almost always going to the top 1% and to the company itself. But if we shifted our values toward our time, really valued our time, then that's what we could have. We could work one or two days a week if that's what we wanted. And you could still have that feeling of accomplishment and yet still have that ability to party and, and celebrate your accomplishments. Do you really take an equal amount of time to celebrate it when you've accomplished things? I mean, we spend a lot of time beating ourselves up when we make mistakes. Do we spend an equal amount of time celebrating our our triumphs? Oh, God, no.
2: <laughs> yeah. I would say absolutely not. No.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, that shows your priorities right there. Yeah. Well,
2: Susan has this question. How do you counteract the anxiety around knowing if you don't do it now, you're just going to have to do more later? Also, what about when you do less and it negatively affects people you're the caretaker for?
1: Like, let's say your children. So there's a a few things. I mean, obviously, I don't know everybody's individual situation. And I would never suggest that someone choose not to feed their kids. (laughs) 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 But... You don't have to feed your kids an organic, uh, made from scratch using my sourdough starter. <laughs> uh, I found this recipe on Pinterest recipe. So, yeah, we, we, the thing is with the tasks that you, where you, where she was saying that if you don't get it done now, you have to get it done later. The thing is, is that list is never actually going to end. Mm. we have we have just kept adding things to our list when we you know one of the th- things I had one of the aha moments for me was when I came home from work one day and I was completely exhausted and I like to cook but I looked into my kitchen and I was like I do I cannot possibly make my own dinner I'm going to order takeout again and then I started to notice all the things that I have that my grandmother didn't have that saved me time and I started going around the house adding up the time that I save, right? Mm-hmm. Like my microwave and my robot vacuum and my dishwasher and all these things that save me time. And I came up with like between 20 and 30 hours a week wow. that I have that she didn't have. And yet, and yet, she constantly made cookies for the PTA. She was a member of the Lotus Club and she grew her own vegetables and she invited neighbors over to see her vacation slides and all these other things that she did. And I started thinking, why? Why? Why do I not have more time? And the thing of it is the reason we don't have more time is because we keep raising the frickin' bar. Mm. As women went to work, you'd think we would have relaxed about what we did at home. Nope. We made it worse. (laughs) We added on to the list of things that you needed to do to make sure that your kid had an awesome, perfect childhood and all these other things. We keep adding to the list. So yeah, throw out the list when you get done for the day because you're not being realistic about what you can get done. And also, that list will never end. The list doesn't go away.
2: The list just has new things on it tomorrow. (laughs) Yep. Katie says, sometimes I choose to be inactive because I'm lazy and it feels good. But then my mind can't let me enjoy the inactivity and I beat myself up for not being productive. How can I find compassion for myself when I do nothing?
1: Well, first of all, stop calling yourself lazy.
2: <laughs> you had to call me on that Celeste uh, last year. We had to talk about this. <laughs>
1: we did, yes. But I didn't. I didn't. You are in the book, yes. but I didn't name you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I recognized myself when I got there.
1: <laughs> so listen, stop using that word, lazy. It is highly unlikely that you are lazy. Just like Kristen called herself lazy, and I was like, are you freaking kidding me? (laughs) So no, you're not lazy. You have to keep saying to yourself, rest is productive. When you give yourself a rest, it makes you better when you get back to whatever it is you were trying to focus on. When you don't give yourself rest, you waste time. You know how you waste time? A, you make a ton of errors. B, your work is not nearly as creative and efficient as it could be if your mind were rested. And C, you're going to deteriorate your own health and well-being, which is going to make it more likely that you'll take sick days. Like, believe me, I could cite you study after study, but just listen to me. You are not lazy. Inactivity is productive. And so that's part of the problem. And the other thing is, is I want to be compassionate to, to, um, to you about these feelings that you're having. Because literally, one of the things I discovered through the research for this book is we've all been brainwashed. In many cases, it was literally intentional for us to believe that we were lazy and bad if we took time off. And that is literal in that they made posters. (laughs) They made ads. They brainwashed us into believing that so that we would just be better workers and better cogs in the machine. So you know, forget that. Just,
2: <laughs> just <laughs> oh, that's, forget it. It's so great. It's so great, Celeste. Um, and yes, you do uh, at great length differentiate between laziness and doing nothing. It's really good to have the, the differences laid out.
3: We're going to take another quick break. But when we come back, Kristen has one last question for Celeste that you won't want to miss.
0: On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my way. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Ready PG 13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All
2: right, Celeste, we're back. Things are going to get <laughs> real
1: now. Uh-oh. Should I be scared?
2: Yes, you should be, because you are one of the hardest working people we know. You are constantly on the speaker circuit. You have one of the most popular TED Talks of all time. You host multiple shows for both TV and radio. What have you written? Two books in the last three years. You teach classes. You mentor people. And so I just got to ask, are you actually practicing what you preach? Do you know how to do nothing?
1: phenomenally. I mean, surprisingly, <laughs> I am. I didn't used to be. Like, that's where this book came from. Oh, we right? should also because... know you're a
2: mom, too. On top of everything yeah. else, you're a mom.
1: <laughs> Although, you know, he's 21. Not that that means I'm not a mom anymore, but <laughs> he is way less work. Um, but no, I, I didn't used to be. And that's kind of where this book came from, was because I it was not sustainable. And I was unhappy and miserable and tired all the time and irritable. Um, but now... Okay, so here's I am the best advertisement for my book. So here's the thing: I take a massive amount of time off. I literally walk my dog for like two and a half hours a day. Wow! I just before this interview, I was sitting on my front porch, um, reading a book and watching my neighbors walk by. But the thing of it is, is this is the this is the great revelation empowering revelation I've discovered, which is that when you lean into your human gifts, when you say, oh, this is the way we're designed to work, and you actually allow your body and brain to work the way they naturally work best, you don't lose any productivity. That's the secret. I actually feel like I'm more productive now that I sit around and twiddle my thumbs all the time um, (laughs) than I was when I was constantly keeping my nose to the grindstone. Mm. I I get more done. And and I'm happier. And you get more nothing done also. (laughs) I do. I do. Absolutely. You know what I did today? I made a terrarium of moss.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That sounds beautiful. That sounds so beautiful.
1: It's it's very (laughs) relaxing to look at. Feel free to come over and and look at my moss.
2: I would love to. (laughs) When all of the social distancing is done, watch out. That's right. (laughs) Well, Celeste, thank you so much. It has been such a pleasure talking with you. I love your new book. Uh, Reminder, it is called Do Nothing, How to Break Away from Overworking, Overdoing, and Underliving. Thanks, Celeste.
1: My pleasure.
3: And that's it for this episode of Buy the Book. Huge, huge thank you to our fabulous production team at Stitcher, Nora Ritchie, Jared O'Connell, and Andy Christens. Also, Daisy Rosario, our executive producer, and Chris Bannon, who is Stitcher's chief content officer.
2: Thanks also to Nate Weida, who composed our theme song, to Gerald Arnold, who arranged this season's version of the theme song, and to our own Nora Ritchie, who performs the song with such style and panache.
3: Don't forget to stay in touch. Send us questions. Send us thoughts on self-help books. Send us pictures of animals and clothes. Our email address is <laughs> KristenAndGelenta at gmail.com. Don't forget you can hit us up on Twitter at Jalenta G, at Kristen Meinzer, or at ByTheBookPod. And, of course, you can leave us a voicemail at 302-49-BOOKS. That's 302-492-6657.
2: Also, please rate us and review us in Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. It helps other people find the show. It fills our hearts with joy when we see all those stars and reviews. It just makes us it makes us even more excited to make the show for you. We love it when you do that. And it's if you true. haven't already, tell a friend about the show.
3: Until next time, I'm Jalanta Greenberg. And I'm Krista Meinzer. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Get yeah, get yeah. It's at 450. Oh, sorry. Uh -uh -uh.
1: Stitcher.
2: Do you want to set your child up for success? Is tutoring out of your budget, or perhaps you're someone like me who just wants to save money on private tutoring? Is this a big school year for your child? You know, maybe they're starting kindergarten or middle school. Maybe there's another milestone coming up. Or maybe your family moved. Oh my gosh, I moved so much when I was growing up. And the kids are starting a new school. Or maybe your child is ahead and just not getting challenged enough in class. Well, IXL Learning is here to help.